0: Our scripture lesson is taken from the third chapter of Matthew, verses 11 through 17. This is the story of the baptism of Jesus. And John the Baptist speaks first. I baptize you with water for repentance. but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in the hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to
1: God. Let us pray. Indeed, O oh God, may John the Baptist and the Christ whom he encounters and the exchange that they have help to prepare us for the day in which we may accept the past, consent to the present, and claim the future you have for us as your beloved people. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. No. 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 Something something is not right. This is not how it is supposed to be. I need to be baptized by you, but you come to me. These presumed thoughts and printed words of John the Baptist come as he has scanned the crowds of people who came for the baptism of repentance that he offered them. And he saw in the crowds sullied people eager to wash themselves of the dirt, grit, and grime of their sin and wayward choices. Likely in that crowd were people who sought a quick fix, an easy remedy to grant them a purity that they sought without having to go through the lifelong transformation which purity demands. Others of them perhaps were there for their curiosity or they suffered a ancient version of FOMO, that is, fear of missing out. They didn't text that to one another, but they perhaps felt it. There were certainly in the crowd also those figures of authority who, with their chins raised high and their eyebrows slanted, boasted of their rightness and called out all that was wrong in what they saw, which John saw as mere shadows of real righteousness. And to all these gathered crowds, John emphasized, he insisted that The baptism of water he gave them was a mere preamble to the baptism of the spirit and the baptism of fire to which one who would come would bring them. One whose smelly sandals alone merited more praise and wonder than John ever would. And so then that Jesus came to them came with those sandals on his feet and a petition in his heart to john saying baptize me baptize me no 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 something's not right this is not how it is supposed to be jesus's request scandalized john as it likely scandalized the early community of christians for whom Matthew wrote this gospel, a community still sorting out who John was in relation to Jesus and vice versa, a community of Jewish believers still trying to convince skeptics from within and without that this Jesus was truly the Messiah, the Lord, even though he acted often like a suffering servant who died meekly at the hands of Gentiles on the cross. How could the greater one need the baptism of the hands of his lesser? How could the sinless one submit to a ritual cleansing he should never need? Something is not right. This isn't how it's supposed to be. To this, Jesus says, let it be so now. For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And so, as Matthew tells us, John consented. Today I want to focus our gaze on that consent, on that mutual, in-the-moment consent through which the heavens opened, making room for the Spirit to descend dove-like on Jesus. A consent from which and through which all who were gathered heard the heavenly voice proclaim, this is my Son, the Beloved in whom I am well pleased. And there are two things in particular I want us to notice about that consent today. First, that it was mutual. Jesus consented to a baptism that on the surface it seemed he shouldn't need. John consented to Jesus who wanted that baptism, even though he had good reason to withhold it. Consent, in this case, is not merely one side bowing to the demands of the other, but a two-party interaction and assent, a willingness to proceed together even when all is not as it should be. In my studies of Matthew the Gospel... the pulpit mic. Oh, that one. Where, where is the pulpit mic? Oh, it's it's on the pulpit. Okay. Is it All right. So anyway, Matthew. Portraying Jesus as the new Moses, very intentionally, because for that Jewish community, seeing Jesus as the new Moses would fulfill what their expectations were of the Messiah. But what has been particularly fascinating to me in preparing for this sermon, is the way in which Jesus not only shows himself to be a fulfillment of Moses, but also a fulfillment of God, the God of creation. I need you to follow with me as I lay this out. For Genesis, that first book of the Bible, which means it's at the beginning, Genesis tells us that in the beginning... When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. So with some imagination, we can imagine that this darkness and this nothingness sparked something in the mind of God. Perhaps a, no, 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 something's not right, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And then we find that God's wind sweeps over the waters and God says, let there be light. And there was light. I've always heard in God's words more of a insistence, a demand, a, a throne like being proclaiming, I want light and I want it now. And then there's light. But through the lens of this encounter between John and Jesus, I hear something different. I hear less of a demand and more of a consent. Let there be light. It's as though God consented light into being. Setting the stage for a creation that came not as much from a command, but as a consent. A string of let there be's which brought into creation swarms of living creatures, birds in the skies, sea monsters in the deep, cattle, creeping things, wild animals. God consented unto creation the very humanity that God would consent to take the form of in Jesus. Let us make humankind in our image, God said. Let us. A mutual Consent. By consenting to John at the River Jordan, Jesus echoed the consent of God the Father at the waters of creation. What we can make of this is that consent is mutual, very much a part of the divine life, as it is asked of human life in service of the divine. Perhaps this is why Jesus sought to be baptized, not because he needed cleansing but because he wanted to exhibit the kingdom of heaven by being joined with the crowds of people who did. We can imagine also in that moment that there were voices in Jesus' head saying, No, 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 this is not right. Voices that he would repeat later in the garden when he would ask of God, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. Jesus consents. So, we see the mutuality of consent. Today, also, let us note the timeliness of it. Jesus said to John, let it be so now. Now. Because now matters. Now is momentous because it is meant for this moment. There are reverberations of that urgency in the voice of Mordecai, who in the book of Esther urges his cousin, the queen Esther, to address the king on behalf of the endangered Jews. Mordecai urges her, saying, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this, for now. Jesus urged John to join him in consenting to this baptism and to do so now, because the time that they shared was charged and pregnant with possibility. Jesus did not want this opportunity squandered, for this was the moment for them to fulfill what God willed for the now of where they were, so that they may be a part of the future that God wanted for them and for God's people. If we scanned the book that is here before me, that is in your pews and in the heart of the church, if we scanned that book, we would see so many instances of this mutual, urgent consent in the face of that which is not right, We find Abraham and Sarah consenting to leave their home to assume parenthood despite their advanced age, which led them to laugh at the promises that God made to them. We find Mary consenting with her own let it be, even as she had every right to say, how can this be? We find the disciples dropping their nets when Jesus said, follow me, even though They only knew how to fish for fish, not for people. We find the paralytic getting up when Jesus said, Stand up and walk, even though he had no history of walking before. We find the Good Samaritan stopping to tend to the wounded when others who had good reasons passed them by. We find the man who let the disciples have the donkey so that Jesus could have a procession into Jerusalem the miracle of mutual consent in the now of life fills the pages of our scriptures and so may it also fill the reality of our life our lives together that is our call we embrace that call at our baptism just as Cooper did and just as Jesus did at his own. In our baptism, we consent to the God who in Christ consents unto us, calling us beloved, cleansing us, claiming us, uniting us to his death and resurrection of he who consented to God's will on our behalf. In our baptism, we participate in the mutual and ever-present urgency of God's consent decree from which creation emerged and from which we emerge as a new creation. I encourage you then to think of every moment as baptismal. That is, as an opportunity to consent to God's will in spite of everything that seems to stand in opposition. Because the truth of the matter is we find ourselves with many, many reasons to say, no, 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 this isn't right. This isn't how it's supposed to be. The burning of a continent and its creatures. The missile striking the plane. Earthquakes where hurricanes and neglect have already ravaged. The injustice inflicted by haves on the have-nots. The cancers and addictions, the broken relationships and missed opportunities. No, 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 this is not right. In all of those nos and in all of these nows, the invitation is to consent. Not concede to reality, but to say yes to the God of mutuality who consents unto us, our created selves, our belovedness in Christ. Now I realize that for Jesus and John, the instructions were clear that God willed a baptism. But for us, many times, we do not know so clearly what God wills for us when we have a decision to make, a choice. There is so much ambiguity. But that ambiguity can also be something to which we consent and offer ourselves into. There's a famous prayer by Thomas Merton, who said and prayed to God, saying, My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me, and I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I actually am doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have in desire in that desire And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to my perils alone. Consent may merely be taking the form of wanting to please God, acting on that desire in the hope that in that consent the heavens will open just a bit wider, that the Spirit may descend a bit more swiftly dove-like upon us, speaking to us of our belovedness in Christ. Speaking of... How he could not control the fate of his life or the fate of the world, a well-known columnist said, I don't steer the river, which is true enough, but in faith we stand with the one who stood with us in the river, who was of the same substance of the one who who consented into being such a thing as a river, the one who is beloved to God and who is beloved to God. To us. With him as your firm foundation and guide, consider what in your life demands your consent. What makes you say, no, 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 this isn't right, this isn't how it ought to be. And consider in that place how you can join in the mutuality of Christ's consent and do so now. In whatever challenge, disruption, or ambiguity that confronts you, how can you say with him, let it be so now?